Uh, we're making sure, and then make sure you flip that around to where I can see me in screen. So now, to kind of give you an update, if you don't know what's going on, obviously, I do Wednesday night services out in the, uh, in the coffee room. We record them. We put them on YouTube. One of the greatest questions I get asked on a regular basis is, why do you believe in a rapture? I mean, I get emailed this at least once or twice every couple months, and therefore, we want to address why we believe in a rapture. And the bottom line is, we believe in a rapture for multiple reasons, but I'm going to break that down to you today. And so I think I'm going to move my stuff here so you can kind of see me at the same time. I mean, it's, it's amazing to hide a face like this behind audio only. Come on now. So uh, before we start, it is obviously a special day for me. One, it's my first time back in the pulpit since resigning as a pastor, uh, and so I appreciate the opportunity for those of you that are maybe visiting. I used to pastor here years ago. They fired me, and I, we hired somebody new. You will understand by the end of this service why they fired me. So, but it is a special service for me. Obviously, my grandson, Tate, is... He's here today, which you couldn't have planned it. Like... You know, I didn't know Justin was going to be gone. He asked me about a month and a half ago, hey, make sure you're preaching October the 2nd. I'm like, all right, sounds good to me. And then obviously uh, he's here today. So it's kind of fitting that I'm right back home and I got my grandson. So uh, to say the least, granddaddy's home. <laughs> all right, now, for those of you that don't get that joke, you'll get it later. Now, the rapture, it's a message of hope. really is. And you'll understand by the end of this why it's a message of hope. Because when we were just singing today about the Lord's return, and we use that term, and I'm going to try to clarify some things with that. When we were singing about that, guys, do you understand how much of a hope that is for you and I? Because what we know, and let me back into the screen. You'll have to give me a second to get this right. What we know about the Word of God is an awful, awful, awful time is coming to hit this planet. Not, not like any other time in human history, nor will there ever be a time like it after. Those are Jesus' words. When he describes the actual rapture, or the actual tribulation that's going to hit this planet. And for those of you that are saved and on your way to heaven, God, through his mercy, is going to remove you and I from that day so that all living hell will break loose on this, on this planet, and yet he's going to spare you and I that opportunity. Thank God. It is a message of hope. Now, could you imagine me standing here today going, Church, here's your message of hope. Get ready. We're going through the tribulation. That ain't a message of hope. That's a message of absolute terror. I wouldn't want to go through that. Okay, and so hopefully we'll break this down. And way I'm going to break it down, and, and by the way, let me just say this. Guys, I could literally make a 20-week series on the rapture. It's not something you can clear up in one day, but this is going to give you the oversight. And here's some of the questions that we need to ask. Number one, is the rapture a biblical doctrine? Because if it's not, we shouldn't be teaching it. Which is interesting because we all use the Bible, but the vast majority of people don't believe in a rapture of the church. Now, the second question that we're going to try to answer is, when is this rapture supposed to happen? I mean, that's what most people want to ask me. 
Okay? And the problem is we, we hear things like, well, wait a minute. I was told you won't know the day or the hour. Well, let me ask you, is that the second coming or is that the rapture? That's a big question. Right? Second, is the rapture a new doctrine? Because if you get online and you start studying the rapture, the Calvinist and the covenant theology, the, the replacement theology guys, they're all going to say, oh, Corey, your problem is you're believing in a doctrine that's only about 100 years old. No, it ain't. And we'll, we'll discuss that. Now, second of all, what's the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ? Those things you got to get down because if you're not careful, you'll have verses that are applied to the second coming of Christ to the rapture, and you'll have a rapture applied to the second coming of Christ, and you're like, I don't, I don't know. It must be one event, right? Then all of a sudden, we got to ask the question, what's the purpose of the rapture? I've already displayed some of that. And then I'm going to finalize it with what happens if you miss the rapture. Because if you miss it, you, you need to pay attention, all right? So now, what, what we're going to do is just start with, is the rapture a biblical doctrine? Because if it's not, then we need to stop preaching it. Because at the bottom line, listen, one of the things we're adamant about in this church is if it's not Bible, rightly divided Bible, it can't be presented as truth. Okay, so therefore, I have to make my case on why I believe I'm in a rapture, but I have to do it biblically and rightly divide that Bible so that I present it to you in such a way that, no, that's not Corey's opinion. Because if you went online right now and you asked John Piper or Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible answer man, which is almost a joke, right? If you ask any of them, they're going to tell you, oh, no, there's no such thing as a rapture, blah, blah, blah. Now, I'm going to stand here and tell you there is a rapture. And the bottom line is, who cares what John Piper thinks? Who cares what Hank Hanegraaff says? Who cares what Corey Gordon says? It does not matter, my opinion, your opinion or any of those guys' opinion. The only person we really want to know from is, God, what do you say about the rapture? And whatever he says, that's what I'm banking on. Okay, so who cares about everybody's opinion? Let's just see what God has. Okay, 94% of all professing Christians do not believe in the rapture. You understand, 9 out of 10 Christians don't adhere to the doctrine of the rapture, which means only 6% of us do. Now, yeah, you have to ask your question is, really? You're telling me 90%, 94% of Christians missed it? I would tell you when it comes to most major doctrines in the Word of God that 94% of Christians miss it. Satan's job, since this book has been completed, is to, to, to change it, to confound it, and to confuse you on what it says. And so therefore, he is in high pursuit of making sure you don't know truth. He doesn't care that you have a Bible. He's concerned whether you actually believe what is written in that Bible, and he's concerned that you're rightly dividing that Bible. Okay? And so we want to ask that question. Okay? So therefore, you know, do you understand out of the 6% that do believe in the rapture, most of us can't even decide on when it's going to happen. So out of the remaining 6%, most of us don't even get along on that. Do you understand that there are 9,000 different groups that call Christianity their belief system? When you say, what's the major religions of the world? Well, you better get really technical. Because 9,000 different people 
are different groups claim to be Christians, and they don't all believe the same thing. Therefore, we need to break this down. Okay, let's start here. And I, I would ask you to take your Bibles and actually turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, this is interesting because our pastor is going through the book of Thessalonians right now. And he ended last week in verse 10, which we will pick up from in just a second. But the bottom line is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, God, or Paul is clearing up some things because there is already some confusion about the rapture and the second coming and did it happen already? Is it going to happen? Are we going to be left behind? And Paul is using this whole book to clear that up. And I want you to look as we break down this verse with me. He says, but I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, the word asleep applies to those who have died being born again in Christ. So if your loved one is a saved individual and they die and they go to heaven when they die, the Bible clarifies them as being asleep in the Lord. Okay? They don't use the word death because they're not dead their body is dead but their soul and their spirit is alive and well with the lord they are asleep when it comes to this world now watch this that ye sorrow not now pay attention to that he's starting out by telling you what i'm about to tell you i'm telling you because i don't want you to sorrow however he says even as others which have no hope for if we believe that jesus died and rose again even so them also which sleep in jesus those that have died in Christ, will God bring with him? Watch this. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Now, when we speak about the coming of the Lord, that's a broad spectrum because you got to clarify under the title, there are subtitles coming of the Lord, and I'll clear that up in just a minute. He says, the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So in other words, if your loved one died before the rapture, you and I which are alive, and that rapture that's going to happen for us is not going to stop them either. They're coming with us. Now notice what he says. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven, we just sang about this, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Notice that the trump, not the trumpet, trump. Those of you that are in the band, <laughs> I just have to laugh at band people. It's in my nature, I'm sorry. Anyway, those of you that are in the band, you know that there is a difference between a trumpet and a trump. A trumpet is a musical instrument. A trump is a sound that comes from that instrument. Two different things. He didn't say at the last trumpet, when we're going to be raptured is at the last trump. So don't bust over here to Revelation chapters 14 through 19 and go, oh, oh, when the, when the la or excuse me, chapter 11, and, and say, oh, in the last trumpet. No, you're tying two things together. He didn't say trumpet here. He said trump, and we'll talk more about that. The trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise. You know why they rise first? Because they have six more feet to go. All right, now, then which we were alive and remain shall be, look at this word, caught up all right caught up pay attention to that together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air so shall we ever be with the lord now watch the last verse verse 18 wherefore comfort 
one another with these words. That's very important that you get that. I've tried to take my time, break these verses down so that you can see them. Now, I want you to understand that, number one, the defense against the rapture is simply, Corey, you can't believe in a rapture. The rapture is not even a word used in the Bible. And that's a legitimate term, guys. I mean, guys, let's be honest. We champion that here. Uh, you've heard me say multiple times, you can't use the word pope. It's not in the Bible. You can't use words like nuns. Those things are not in the Bible. Right? I mean, let's be honest. We teach that from this pulpit, that if a terminology is not in the Scripture, you can't use it. However, I do want you to understand, maybe not the term rapture is in the Bible, but the concept is in the Bible. The reason we say don't use the word pope is because not only is the word not used in the Bible, but the actual concept is not even in the Bible. Same thing with nuns. There are no nuns in the Bible. The word's not used, and the concept is not used. And you say, well, wait a minute. If the word rapture's not in the Bible, can we even use it? Well, how about the other words that are not in the Bible? Trinity. Trinity is not in the Bible. Are you telling me there isn't a Trinity? The concept of the Trinity is definitely in the Bible. We could do months and months of teaching from the Word of God where Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father are three in one. Right? Here's another word that's not in the Bible. Bible. Are you telling me you don't believe in a Bible? I mean, that's kind of ignorant, seeing how that's what we kind of base everything off of. I'll give you another word that's fitting today that's not in the Bible. Grandfather. It's not in the Bible. Are you telling me there's not grandfathers? You say, well, wait a minute. If grandfather's not in the Bible, what do we do with that? Matter of fact, here's what's happened. If you go into the Old Testament, you'll find out that the term grandfather, the concept is there. It's just terminology is different. They refer to grandfathers as actual fathers. So sometimes when you go through a, a genealogy, it will refer to an individual as his father. And you come to find out, you go, no, that's actually his grandfather. Then we hear terms like father's father in the Bible. But the word grandfather isn't in the Bible. Now, let me just take a side note. Since everybody and their brother has been asking me since Tate was born what I'm going to be called. Like, I've, I've been questioned. Literally, I've had emails, texts, got stopped earlier today and asked, hey, what, what are you going to be called? What is Tate going to refer to you as? Is he going to call you Pawpaw, Peepaw, Papaw, Grandpaw? I'll just be honest. Those all sound a little dainty to me. I'll let you guys have those. What he will refer to me as, you got your pen out, is Grand Alpha. And he will call me Al for short. Now, you say, okay, what, what's he going to call Christy? She's going to be called Big Mama. <laughs> for those of you that are online and don't get the joke, she's about 100 pounds. So the word Big Mama is kind of a joke. Those of you that know me know that Grand Alpha is no joke. So now that clears it up. The rest of you can call me Al. Now, 
These terms are not in the Word of God, but obviously the concept is in the Word of God. And therefore, we can apply the word rapture to it. But when I just showed you, as I go back, you'll have to hang with me, the word being caught up is actually in Latin, rapto, which means to be the snatching up or the catching away, which is where our English word rapture comes from. So therefore, when you say, it's not in the Bible, absolutely it's in the Bible. Now, the English word isn't. But just like grandfather is in the Bible, Trinity is in the Bible, and Bible is in the Bible, so is rapture. Now, let me catch ahead. CJ, you'll just have to catch up. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is still describing the rapture to a whole other church. And here Paul is addressing those in Corinth, in Corinth, and he says, behold, I show you a mystery. The rapture is a mystery. Now, mystery doesn't mean it's something we got to figure out. We got to get the clues from Scooby Doo, and we got to, you know, Blue's Clues is going to help us figure out what the mystery is. No, the whole thing about a mystery in the Word of God is it is a it is a doctrinal belief that was once hidden that has now since been revealed. Okay, now it's a mystery. He says we shall not all sleep. In other words, we're not all going to die. And I say, thank God. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in death. Okay, Jerry's up here earlier talking about he's closer to death than I am. And I'm like, thank God, right? <laughs> I guess that's a good place for an amen, Jerry, right? Now, he goes on, he says, we shall not all sleep, but we all will be changed, okay? And you got to stop and ask yourself, at some moment, and that moment says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and those are those that are way beyond uh, math and time and measurements beyond me, say that a twinkling of an eye is one thirty-second of a second, which means the rapture could happen 32 times every second. So if you think, oh, I'll just get right with God when it goes down. Sorry, it's going to happen so quick, you won't know it. Boom, gone. One minute, they're, not even one minute, literally one millisecond they're here, the next millisecond they're gone. You'll see a pile of clothes laying there on the floor. And you'll go, what happened to so-and-so? God raptured them. He caught them up. He said, when's it going to happen? At the last trump, here it goes again, not the last trumpet, the last trump, the sound, when he comes out as that archangel and blows that trumpet, it says, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall rise incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For the, this corruption must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So i got to ask the question, for those of you that don't believe in the rapture, he clearly tells you that we're going to be changed. That this corruptible body is going to come off of us and we're going to put on an incorruptible body. And he says, some of us are not going to die when this happens. Okay, then when does that happen? If you only believe in the second coming, when does that go down? You got to pinpoint it for me. Here's a little skip ahead. But if you read about the second coming, he's coming back with ten thousandths of his saints. That's you and me. 
So what you're teaching is he's going to beam us up and then beam us right back down? Why? Why would he do that? Hey, come up here. Okay, now that you're here, boom, go back down there. That's not how that goes down, folks. You will have a new body before you get on your horse to ride back in Revelation 19. You'll already be clothed in his righteousness. The righteousness of the saints, Revelation 19 says. All right, now, number two, is it, is it a biblical doctrine? Clearly, we can see it in the Word of God. When is the rapture supposed to happen? This is where it's going to get really good. Okay, now watch this. Number one, when is the rapture going to happen? If you look at most places, most churches, and, I, and hang with me before you make a judgment right quick. If you look at most churches, they will have a statement of faith of some sort. And when it comes to the second coming of Christ, they'll say things like, it's the imminent return of Christ. Well, hold up. Careful with that terminology. Because when you say the return of Christ, are we talking rapture or second coming? Imminent literally means it could happen any second. Any moment it could happen. If you're talking about the second coming of Christ, coming back to this planet to rule and reign on this planet, it cannot happen imminent. There is a list of things that have to go down before Jesus can return. So when people say, well, Jesus could return tomorrow. No, Jesus could rapture us tomorrow. He could do it now. There is nothing prophetically stopping the rapture of the church. It could happen before I'm done preaching, and let me tell you, I cannot wait. I'm sick of this place. There's nothing good here. The only thing good on this planet left is the souls of men that we're trying to reach. That's it. The rest of it, man, you can have it. This place is a mess. But if you believe that Jesus is coming back to rule and reign any moment, then you've misunderstood your Bible because there is a list of things like an antichrist happen to happen. Plagues, vials, seals being opened. There is tons of stuff that has to go down, an apostasy, a, a, a revealing of the man of wickedness. The rapture, any moment, any moment. That's why Paul said, we which were alive and remain. Paul assumed he was going to be a part of this group. Okay, now watch, we're, we're going on here. Now I want you to notice here, he says, then we which are alive and remain, back to your verses here, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. In other words, off this planet, together with them, the dead in Christ, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Guess what doesn't happen during the rapture? Jesus doesn't return. He comes down here, and man, I don't want to blow your mind here, but he comes down here because what he's going to do is there's this big ocean up above us called the deep. And just like God split the Red Sea and allowed Israel to go over, he's going to do that same thing through that deep while we go up there. And you'll get to see Leviathan. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, man, he's went off the deep end. And I get it. I understand. One of my challenges today is to somehow teach this subject to new believers, unbelievers, and yet to deep believers. 
And so some of that stuff will go over your head, and that's fine. But for those of you that understand where I'm going with that, that's a cool little nugget you can look for. But understand, it is off this planet where this is going down. But we're asking the question, when does it happen? Where does it fit in eschatology, in the study of ending times? When does the rapture go down? Well, it starts right here. What you believe about the Jew will determine when and what you believe about the end times. Do you understand all of Calvinism? And I hate Calvinism with a passion. All of Calvinism is nothing more than a front for replacement or covenant theology. Now, for those of you that are going, what is all that? Covenant theology, replacement theology, Calvinism, all of it boils down to simply the church has replaced the nation of Israel. And we do not adhere to that. We don't believe that for one second. We believe that the church age is nothing more than a parenthesis in the timeline of God. That God, after Acts chapter 8, stopped dealing with the Jews, and he's dealing with the church. And he will deal with the church until Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. He'll remove the church off the planet, and then he will go back to dealing with the Jew and get that nation back to himself. Now, the bottom line is this. If you think God has replaced Israel with the church, then you have to believe that the church is going through the tribulation. Who else is he persecuting? Who else is going through all that? I mean, you get to Matthew 24, and Jesus is like, yeah, you got to endure to the end. you got to preach this gospel to everybody in the kingdom. And you're going, well, if there's no Israel, the only other option is us. So you have to be in the tribulation. Now, check this out. So I want you to pay attention here. This will put you in one of three categories, excuse me, doctrinally, concerning the millennial reign of Christ, okay? Now, these are big words, and at the end of the day, whether you get them, whether you don't get them, I don't care. I, I'm more concerned about you getting the concept and the timeline down right. But if you're like we are, you believe in Israel and that God's chosen people, God has not done with them, but yet you believe that the church is a separate entity, then you are known as a pre-millennialist. Okay, and I'll explain all this. So you have a premillennial, you have postmillennial, and then you have amillennial. Then you have panmillennial, and that's those that believe it just however it pans out. Now, now here's the thing. When we speak of premillennialism, that's us. We believe you have the Old Testament. Jesus died, fulfilled it, went back to heaven. Then you have the age of the church age. Then you have the pre-tribulational rapture where Jesus pulls his people off this planet and we enter into a seven-year tribulation. After seven years, Christ comes back with the church and sets Armageddon into motion and literally sets everything into order, sits down on the throne and rules this planet for 1,000 years. After the millennial, you have a new heaven, new earth, and therefore Christ will reign forever. That's a premillennialist, but let me read it. It's characterized by the belief in a separation between Israel and the church and in the biblical timeline. 
Classic dispensationalists, which I am and I'll explain, believe that the Bible, biblical clock for Israel stopped running at the stoning of Stephen, which began the church age. Now, listen, guys, if you believe that the church age started at Pentecost, you're going to have a hard time rightly dividing the book of Acts. However, it started after the stoning of, of, of Stephen. That's why Jesus was standing up. If Jesus, if they would have accepted him as the Messiah at that point, he would have came back for Israel at that moment. They would have started the tribulation. And that's a real deep story to get into. But it started at the stoning of Stephen, which began the church age. The clock will begin ticking again when the rapture of the church happens. That's a premillennial. Now, you have what's known as a postmillennial. Okay? A postmillennialist believes that. We believe that Christ comes back before the thousand-year reign. That's why it's called pre-millennial. Post means after. So a post-millennialist believes that Jesus Christ is going to come back after a thousand-year reign, which I always thought was a little dumb. Like, wait, let me get this straight. After Jesus rules and reigns on this earth for a thousand years, then he comes back? That don't make any sense, but either way. These people say, okay, let's characterize by a belief in a golden age or a millennium brought to pass by spiritual means. That's why you hear people using the term ushering in the kingdom. You and I aren't ushering in anything. Not one thing. You and I are simply preaching and teaching the word of God, looking for our blessed hope. That's what we're doing. Now watch this. Before the return of Christ, also in direct contrast, to premillennial, also postmillennial is related to the millennial and the retain, return of Christ. That's what I was just explaining. They believe it happens after. Then you have all millennials. When you put up the letter A in front of a word, it gives it a negative con, con, connotation. In other words, let, listen to me. So if I say I have unbelief, the letters U and N make that word a negative word, right? It's not that I believe, I don't believe. I have unbelief. The letter A is the same word, uh, same way of doing a UN, which is, which is perfect, UN being negative. That's a, that's a side note. All right. Now, but the letter A does the same thing. All millennials doesn't believe in a millennial. In other words, let's just read it. Literally means no millennial. This view is characterized by a belief that the millennial may not be a literal thousand-year period. Now, those of you that are Southern Baptists, those of you that believe the Southern Baptist doctrine, you're an odd millennialist. Matter of fact, if you want a good time, if you want a good, good time of laughter, go on to the Southern Baptist's statement of faith that was made in 2000. Number one, they clarify the Lord's Day as the day of Sunday, which is not true. But then they clarify a term called the last things, which we would call the day of the Lord or the Lord's Day. But they call it the last days. And just read it for yourself. And the reason why they have to be so ambiguous in their definition is because they can't get along on what, how the end's going to be. And so therefore, most of them are all millennialist. They don't actually believe in a literal thousand-year reign of Christ. One of the things that we teach in this church is that you and I are to take the Scripture and take it literal until you can't. So if he says, I'm returning for a thousand years, I don't go, wonder what that means. It means he's returning for a thousand years. It's not deep. What makes it deep is your unbelief. 
in your lack of just accepting the Word of God. Now, they don't believe that the thousand-year reign is going to happen at all, but it's just going to be kind of a symbolic thing during the church age, and then Christ is going to return. No rapture at all. Now, I am a pre-tribulation, premillennialist dispensationalist. You're going, I'm just a Baptist. <laughs> okay, now check this out. I, I didn't make all those words up. And I didn't ask to be, you know, classified that way. I'm a biblicist. That's my short answer. But if you want to put me in a group, then yes, I'm an absolute pre-tribulation guy. I believe that the rapture will happen before the tribulation. I'm a premillennialist. I believe that Jesus Christ will return before a literal thousand-year reign. And I am a dispensationalist, which simply means God is not done with the Jew and has not, has not replaced Israel with the church, but will bring them back to himself through the tribulation period. That's the whole reason for the tribulation, is to bring Israel back to him, which means you and I are no longer necessary on this planet at that point. Okay? That's why I'm a dispensationalist. Now, and by the way, when I say I am, understand that your pastor is also. If he wasn't, he wouldn't have gotten hired. I can assure you. Those are not heaven and hell issues. In other words, if you're not a dispensationalist, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to heaven. But it is a major contention of teaching in this pulpit. Because if you're a Calvinist, or you're someone along those range of replacement theology, that's heresy. That's not Bible. And for you to stand here and open up the Word of God and regurgitate what it says, there is no way we're going to sit and listen to you tell us how God's done with Israel and he's replaced it with the church. Because you're messing up everything at that point. Now, here is my point of being a pre-tribulation rapture guy. So you remember when I said 94% of the people don't even believe it at all? 6% of them do? Well, the 6 percenters have to figure out where they believe it. Okay, that's the problem. Now, I'm a pre-trib guy. What does that mean, Corey? That means I believe God is going to snatch you and I off this planet before the tribulation period starts. All right? That means I'm right here. But you also have mid-tribulation, and I don't know why, yeah, mid-tribulation, which is right here. Those are the people who believe that you're going to go through halfway through the tribulation, and then you're going to be pulled off then. I don't know if that's the three-and-a-half-year tribulation dudes out there on the Internet. I don't know what their belief system is on that. But here is a confusion on why. You know why some people believe in a mid-tribulation? Because I actually do believe in a mid-trib rapture. You say, wait a minute, how can you be pre-trib and mid-trib? Well, not to rock your world, I actually believe in three raptures. Not for the church, but I can prove to you there are three in the Bible. Not for us, there's one for us. But if you start reading halfway through in the tribulation, God snatches some more people off the planet. And what happens is we go, oh, is that us? No, it ain't us. We're gone. And, I, and that can be come out at another time. But we believe it's going to happen at the beginning of the tribulation. So here's a basic breakdown of the end times and when it's going to happen. Okay, We start here with the present age. You are here. You ever been to Six Flags? <laughs> and you're going, okay, all right. 
Now, you're here. What we're waiting on, the very next thing to happen, is God to bodily remove you and I off this planet and take you home to be with him and to gather around his throne. And when we are there, that's when the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ happens. That's when you get your crowns. That's when you lay them at his feet. And that's when the Lamb's marriage supper will be going. All during the seven-year tribulation, you and I are in heaven going through our deal. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, you and I come back with him. Now watch. So you're here. Then you have three and a half years of tribulation, which is called the beginning of sorrows. You can find this in Matthew 24. And then you have a second three and a half years, which is called the Great Tribulation. Now, for those of you listening online who say, no, no, there's no difference between tribulation and great tribulation. Really? We are the people running around as King James people saying that there is not one word added to the word of God. Why would God word add the word great right there and nowhere else? Why wouldn't he just use the word tribulation again? He doesn't use the word great tribulation anywhere else. And when God changes his format, it's a neon sign for you and I to go, hey, I need to pay attention to this. And the bottom line is there is a seven-year tribulation, not three and a half years. That three and a half years is the beginning of sorrows. The second half is the great tribulation. And I'm not going to go into all what that is. Let me tell you, if you're alive from this arrow to this arrow, Life's going to stink for you. You are going to want to die. There's actually a five-month period there where you can't. The pain and the anguish that you will endure during that time is beyond comprehension. You do not want to miss this rapture. I couldn't scream it louder to you, folks. You can miss anything you want to miss. Don't you miss that rapture. Now watch. So this is the return of Christ here. Then you have the millennial reign. Then you have the final great white throne judgment. And then you have eternity, the new heaven and the new earth. And this is the final, this is basically how it breaks down. Now to understand all this, you have to understand two key verses in all the book of Revelation. If you get these two verses wrong, the whole book doesn't make sense. You get these two verses right, the whole book unlocks like it's no big deal. The book of Revelation is really not that deep of a book. I can, I can list you way. The book of Romans is a deep book. Like that's a book you're trying to wrap your mind around. Revelation is very easy to understand. It's hard to believe, but it's easy to understand. Now watch. Verse 10 of chapter 1 says this. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now if you're a Southern Baptist, I guess you're in trouble because that's got you on Sunday. Nowhere, anywhere in Scripture does God refer to Sunday as the Lord's Day or the Day of the Lord. What you have thousands and thousands and thousands of times in Scripture is the Day of the Lord or the Lord's Day is always referring to the return of Christ. It can refer to the 24-hour period. It can return, uh, 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 reference the seven-year tribulation, but it can also represent the millennial reign. And we don't have time to go into all those explanations but when John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, he's not talking about a day of a week. He's talking about a period of time in the future. 
And what God did was snatch him off of 90 AD in Isle of Patmos, transported him to the tribulation period and set him down. And you go, oh, I, I don't know if I can believe that. Really? You struggling with that? But yet the God spoke everything into existence. You believe that? The splitting of the Red Sea. You believe that? But all of a sudden this John thing, that's too much for me, man. I, I can't believe that. Guys, he picked John up and moved him to the future and set him down. And I'm going to explain why. So in verse 19, Jesus decided how the book of Revelation was going to be broke down. He said, you're going to write in three points. John, I want you to write about the things which thou hast seen, meaning we call that the past. I want you to write about the things which are, we call that the present. And he says, and then I want you to write about the things hereafter. In other words, we call that the future. Once again, the book ain't that deep. Now, it's not my opinion that the book of Revelation is divided into three parts. That's what Jesus just said. Now, if I have a straight line and I want to divide it in three parts, how many cuts do I need to make? Two, right? Cut it here, there's a section. Cut it here, here's a section, and there's the last section. Which brings us to the structure of the book of Revelation. You say, how do you know where to divide the book? Okay, Revelation chapter 4, we have a door open in heaven, somebody goes up. Chapter 19, we have a door open in heaven, somebody comes down. That's where you divide the book, okay? So then, the things which thou hast seen, that's the past, that's chapters 1 through 3, we call it the church age. Then chapters 4 through 18 are the things which are, we call that the present. Then the things that shall be hereafter is the future, is chapters 20, 21, and 22. Now check this out. Remember when I said he was in the spirit on the Lord's day? If you think John is in 90 AD writing this, where's the past? Show me in the book of Revelation the history. There is no history if he's in 90 AD. But if you pick him up from where he's at, transport him through a holy DeLorean and set him down in the tribulation period, now he's standing right in the middle of the tribulation. He looks back and writes 2,000 years of church history. He looks in the present and writes about chapters 4 through 19 about the tribulation or the day of the Lord. And then he's going to write about the future, the millennial reign and the future eternity. That's how the book breaks down. Chapter 4 is the revelation of the rapture. Okay, now watch this. Next verse. Okay, look at Revelation 4. Watch this. He says, after this, what is this? The first three chapters. What is the first three chapters? It's seven letters to seven what? Churches. After this, after the churches, I looked and behold, a door was open in heaven. The first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me. Man, that trumpet keeps showing up. And he says, that trumpet said something to me. What did it say? Come up hither. Raptured, caught up, snatched away. Now watch this. Soon as that happened, immediately 
I was in the spirit, behold, uh, in the, I was in the spirit, and behold, the throne was set in heaven. In other words, you know where he was at? He heard the voice. As soon as he heard the voice, boom, he was around the throne. Do you know what the rapture is? It's Bible believers everywhere hearing the voice of God, the voice of the archangel calling them up, and I'm telling you, immediately, you're going to be around the throne. I want you to understand when you start studying this thing of the rapture, the vast majority of people that who want to teach you that you're going to be going through the tribulation. Have you ever noticed in the book of Revelation the word church or churches is used all over chapters 2 and 3? As soon as chapter 4 verse 1 happens, the word church is never used again, ever. Matter of fact, you only see the church two more times after chapter 4. One of them is in chapter 5, and they're around the throne. The next time you see the church is chapter 19, and they're mounting up on stallions to come back with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. And you say, well, how in the world? Can, why doesn't he mention the church after that? Because the church is gone. We're not on this planet anymore. We're, we're out of here. So when is it going to happen? It's going to happen before the tribulation. Number two, is the rapture a new doctrine? And, and, and by the way, number two was the, the long point. I'll get you flowing right here. Just those of you that are going, holy cow, the rapture's going to happen before he finishes. All right? <laughs> now, now watch this. Is the rapture a new doctrine? So if you go and you study all these Calvinists, they're going to go, oh, Corey, Zwingli didn't, he didn't believe in it. Calvin didn't believe it. John Knox didn't believe in it. As though these guys are the standard of everything. Matter of fact, I'll go further back than those guys. Adam Manchus Origen didn't believe in the rapture. He called it a Jewish fantasy. Matter of fact, if you've walked in here today and you're carrying any other Bible than the one I use, you have an Adamantus origin Bible with 75,000 changes that he made in that day. He was the father of conjectural inundation. You come to a point in Scripture that disagrees with your doctrine, just change it. And if you have a Bible that doesn't match the Bible I'm using, you have his Bible. He didn't believe in a premillennial doctrine either. And the fact that he didn't makes me want to believe in it. Because there was nothing about Adam Antis' origin that makes him a great church father, as these men tell you. Matter of fact, you study this guy, he's a freak show. So the bottom line is they say, oh, no, 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 Corey. Post-millennialist and all-millennialist was the doctrine of belief throughout the Reformation and throughout all those ages. You're right. Here's why. Now pay attention. So I told you, whether you're a premillennialist, postmillennialist, or millennialist, all comes down to believe in what you believe about the Jew. So what happened in 70 AD is the Jewish nation, Titus comes in there like a cue ball, busts that place up, and for over 1,900 years, the Jews were displaced amongst this world. And never in history had a nation lost its identity for 1,900 years and came in and, and regained its existence as a country. 
Even secular people teach it is absolutely a modern miracle. Now watch this. So before 1948, before 1917, the people who couldn't wrap their mind around the Jews becoming a nation again taught post-millennialism. Well, God's done with the Jew. They're not even a nation anymore. They're not even a people group anymore. And then all of a sudden, in the last 100 years, God started to do something amazing. What he did is, back in 1917, they had what's known as the Balfour Declaration. For the first time in, in 1900 years, the king, who's, who literally oversaw the world at that time, wrote, the Balfour Declaration was written to the king, giving Israel the opportunity to go back to the homeland. Gave the land to them. So the land was ready in 1917, but none of the Jews went back. So what God did was allowed World War II to happen. And so what happened in World War II? Men came in and started grabbing Jews, persecuting them, shoving them in ovens, and now all of a sudden, now the people are ready to go back to the land. And so the major difference that we believe in now, that's why guys like Matthew Henry, great guy, great commentaries. I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for his commentary on Revelation. Because he can't comprehend certain things that you and I have the blessedness of knowing Israel as a nation. In 1948, Israel became a nation again. And so what's going to happen is, Jesus told you, when you see that happen, know it's close. The generation that sees this will be the generation that sees the coming of the Son of Man. And what we're expecting any moment is to be taken off this planet and then God stepping in and sending all kinds of chaos to this planet to bring that nation back to himself. No wonder they think it's a new doctrine. And it's not. I would tell you, it's the original doctrine. Now, what's the difference between the rapture and the second coming? This will be quick. At the rapture, there's a transition or translation of the believer. There is no translation of anybody involved at the second coming. At the rapture, the saints go to heaven. At the second coming, the saints return with Christ. The rapture is imminent. The second coming isn't. Rapture affects believers only, yet the second coming, all of mankind will see him with their eyes, Revelation chapter 1. Now how is he coming secretly and snatching us off the planet, and yet everybody's seeing him at the same time? Right? Then, uh, the rapture before the day of the wrath, it's, it's really going to be before it happens, second coming concludes the day of wrath. Rapture, there is no reference to Satan. The second coming, Satan is bound for a thousand years. Rapture, he comes in the air. Second coming, he lands on Mount Olives. Rapture, he, he comes for the bride. Second coming, he comes with the bride. The rapture, only the saints see him. Second, every eye shall see him. The rapture, the tribulation begins. Second coming, the millennium begins. Now, hang on. I've, I've went, because I'm almost to my point right here. My next two points are to two groups of people in this building. Now, I've told you all that stuff to just trying to lay out some stuff, but there are two groups of people inside this building. There are those of you that know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and have been born again and saved and on your way to heaven. 
And what I'm telling you, this is a message of hope. And then there are people inside this building that don't know Jesus Christ. You know of him, you know about him, but you've never met him in a personal way. You've never had him forgive you of your sins. You've never had your sins washed away. And the rapture should be the most scariest thing to you on this planet. One, it could happen any moment, but do you understand it will seal your faith or fate? Now watch this. For those of us that are born again, what's the purpose of the rapture? Notice in verses 4, 13, and 18, he says that you sorrow not. And at the end of it, verse 18, he closes with, says, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Now, if the rapture isn't real, and it's talking about the second coming, how do I stand here and comfort you with the words of the second coming when I'm going to be teaching you words that all hell is going to be released on this planet? Does that sound very comforting to you? How about I tell you that your loved ones will die all around you during the tribulation? Is that comforting to you? How about the fact that a third of the world is going to starve during the tribulation? Is that comforting to you? But yet, Paul says, these words are words of comfort. Comfort one another with these words. Because he's not talking about the second coming. The Bible also goes on in first. This is where Justin ended last week. He says, for they themselves show us what manner of inner in we had onto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living God. Remember when he preached this last week? Next verse. You turned to serve the living God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus. Now here's the words, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I'm not looking for the wrath to come. I've been delivered from it. You go on in chapter 5, verses 1 and 4. So if you've got your Bible still open, if you'll notice, I just read to verse 18 of chapter 4. Chapter 5 starts. It's the same context. And here's what he says. But of the times and the season, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety and sudden destruction shall come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, in other words, man, pain and anguish is about to hit this planet. But you, brethren, he says, but ye, brethren, are not taken in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Watch. Ye are children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, they that be drunk, drunk in the night. By the way, you want a little hint? That's every church service going on in this planet right now. They're either asleep or drunk. That's what happens. Go to your Baptist churches. Let's just be reverent. There's no reason to all this yelling. Let's just talk about the Word of God. Or we're... Or the opposite of that is what you see in the Pentecostal world. The clucking like chickens, the barking like dogs, the speaking in all kinds of goofy languages, looking like drunk people. And they even use that term, drunk in the spirit. God says, no, I don't want you asleep. I don't want you a drunk. I want you to be sober, putting on the breastplate of righteousness and faith and love and for the helmet of the hope of salvation. Watch this. We got to verse 9. I read all that to show you the context. 
He's given you chapters 4, 13 through 18, continues on in verses 5 through 8, and here's what he says in verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but obtained salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has not appointed you and I to have wrath. It's a message of hope. Now hang on. Titus says it this way. Looking for that blessed hope. How much of a blessed hope would it be if I told you today, stock up, guys, get your guns, ammo, get you some food put away. We're going through the tribulation, boys. That's not a blessed hope. Matter of fact, if you were worried about going through the tribulation, now you can't be focused on what you're supposed to be doing, which is reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Watch, I'm closing. All right? You notice in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. What do you say? Hey, I'm going away. Prepare a place. I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. Every verse about the rapture is a verse of comfort. Now watch. I'm closing right here. What if I miss the rapture? Now, I told you there's two groups of people inside this building. Those of you that know Jesus Christ, and these words are words of comfort. Those of you that have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you listen to me like you've never listened to anything in your life. I'm going to give you what to do if you miss the rapture. I'm going to give you three points. Pay attention. Number one, start working. Boy, you better start working. The book of Matthew says it this way. All these things are the beginnings of sorrow. They shall they deliver you up and afflict you, shall kill you. Many of them shall be hated all nations. He's talking to the Jews. But for those of you that are left behind, he says, listen, you've got to endure to the end. If you think you're going to get saved during the tribulation the same way you get saved now, you're not reading the Bible. It's a different dispensation. You will have to endure to the end. I'm not enduring to the end. I'm sealed onto the day of redemption. I'm as good right now as I'm ever going to be. I'm going to heaven. And I'm coming back with the Lord and helping him rule and reign on this planet for a thousand years. Not because of anything I ever did, but simply because I knelt in an altar and asked Jesus to come into my life and to change me. That's it. But for those of you that say, uh, I don't want that. You're going to miss the rapture and God says, you better get to working. Number two, don't take that mark of the beast. Because what's going to happen during the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and he says, listen, you don't need to worry about Bitcoin, XRP, or any of that other digital currency you guys are all thinking is going to be grand. We're going to have a new currency, and that currency is going to either be a mark on your face or on your right hand. Oh, right hand, sorry. <laughs> and when you get that mark, you have to have it to buy, sell, or trade anything. You'll either starve to death or you have to have this mark. And what God says in the book of Revelation, listen, if you take that mark, you're done. No hope for salvation. Here's my third point, and I'm closing. Just kidding. Just kidding. If you're here today, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you missed the rapture, you're already doomed. You don't have to worry about working. You don't have to worry about that, Mark. Go ahead and take it. You're doomed. 
I cannot stress to you what I'm saying so much right now. I'm going to read a verse of scripture and I'm going to explain. They're coming to get a song. And I want you to listen to me. Watch. God says when that Antichrist is revealed, when that guy comes onto the scene, he's going to work power and miracles. And the only person who's ever worked more power and more miracles ever was Jesus Christ. And this guy is going to rival him. Here's what God says for those of you that say, I'm not interested in the gospel. Watch this. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. He's talking to you that say, I'm not interested in that gospel thing. I'm not interested in accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior. He's talking to you. Listen. Because you rejected it, for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. He didn't say the Antichrist is going to send you a delusion. He said God's going to do it to you. He said, why would God do that? He said that they may all be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Listen to me, I'm closing. If you miss the rapture, go live it up. Go enjoy whatever seven years you can get. Because you're done. You reject Christ. And by the way, listen to what I'm telling you. If you reject Jesus Christ, you deserve to be doomed. He died for you. He gave his life for you. Because he loved you so much, he did not want you to endure any of that wrath. He wanted to bring you salvation. And if you tell him, no, I'm not interested in you, then you deserve everything coming your way. Now, I'm going to just stop right here, and I want to say this. You can close your eyes. You can bow your head. I want every individual in this building to make sure they know Jesus Christ is their Savior. Guys, that rapture is imminent. It can happen any moment. And if it does happen right now and you're lost, you're doomed. And I'm begging you, please don't leave here without considering where you stand with God. Father, no doubt in my mind, we know there are people in here every week. They may be church members. They may be people who have said a prayer. There may be people who do all this stuff in here, and none of that matters. I know without a doubt there are people here, God, who have never had a born-again, life-changing experience with you. And we know that you love them, and we know that you want to bring them to a place of saving grace. So, God, I'm asking and praying that you would help them come to know you as their personal Savior. God, I wish I could get saved for them. But we all know, God, that's their choice. So God, well, I ask and pray that your spirit be strong in here this morning. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Stand